Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. Well, welcome to week three of our One Nation Under God series. And it's been a really challenging one as we walk through the Pledge of Allegiance and we recognize the responsibility that we have as Americans, but more importantly, the responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus. And we've recognized in this that we have a responsibility to our mission as Jesus followers first and our political views Second, even in a season like this, even as important and vital as this season is in our country, it's important for us to understand that we are part of a nation that's even greater, that's more important. That's the nation of Jesus, the kingdom of God. We have that responsibility to lean into it. And so we've been using the Pledge of Allegiance and we continue on with that as we continue one nation under God, indivisible. Now, that's a word, right? indivisible. I remember being in like first and second grade and having no idea what the word was. And you're just like mumbling it through and like, right? But as difficult as it is to say, it's even more difficult to live out. Because when we think about that word indivisible, when you look up at the definition, it means to be unable to divide or be separated. Well, that doesn't sound like our nation at all. We feel pretty easily divided, pretty easily separated. And I thought it was so cool at the end of the vice presidential debate the other night, the moderator presented a question from an eighth grader. And I just thought it was so good and it was so important for us to reflect on. And, and I wanted to read it to you. It was a question from an eighth grader. And it says, when I watch the news, all I see is arguing between Democrats and Republicans. When I watch the news, all I see is citizens fighting against citizens. When I watch the news, all I see is two candidates from opposing parties trying to tear each other down. If our leaders can't get along, how are our citizens supposed to get along? Your examples could make all the difference to bring us together. Eighth grader. You could see it on the face of the candidates. It stung. It was heavy. It was a gut punch. It was a wake up to reality. It was a, hey, get out of your like logistics and all these meetings that people are telling you. This is what the future leaders of our nation see in you. Are you good with that? And it, it was interesting to watch them try to stumble through their answers and give their reasons why and but I was sitting there going, preach, girl, preach. Why don't you say it again for the people in the back? Like, isn't that so true? If this is the example that we're to follow, if this is our leadership, if this is, is what we're looking at day in and day out, that's supposed to be the source of our information. How in the world can we call ourselves indivisible? But the truth is, there is supposed to be a leader in our community. There is supposed to be an organization, a body, a movement that people are supposed to look at. The truth is the church should be the shining example of what it means to be indivisible because we are following and modeling our lives after 
Jesus. That's what it should be. We should be the body, the organization, the movement. We should be the people that that our nation, our country, our world could look at and go, those people are indivisible. That's impressive. How do they do that? Why do I believe that? I've heard it said that Jesus's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom in which the rich use their their money and their influence to leverage and help those who are without. It's a kingdom where the, the measure of success, the way that you're actually successful is the way that you care for one another, the way that you love one another. Think about it. Our king, our master, our leader, our savior is the one who sacrificed himself, the ultimate leader, the king, the one that we call the king of kings, Jesus. He sacrificed himself for his followers. He sacrificed himself for those who needed spiritual rescue. That's the kind of kingdom that we're a part of. That's the kind of kingdom that the church should be promoting. We should be viewed as indivisible. The followers of Jesus are called the bride of Christ. We're, we're this one body that's connected in relationship with our Savior. You do realize, right, that like there isn't Republican Christians and Democratic Christians and Libertarian Christians and Independent Christians like Jesus doesn't check your voter card when we get to heaven, right? We're supposed to be one body of believers. And the truth is that there's no political party that's going to perfectly line up with the kingdom of God. I know, I know, I know you feel like your side of the table is the right one. I'm on the right side of history. This view lines up so much with scripture. But the issue is that both sides use scripture, both Democratic and Republican. Use scripture to back up their beliefs and, oh, I'm, I'm a devout Christian. Well, I'm a devout Christian. No, but look at this scripture says we're supposed to do this. And that's why my policies line up with it. The reality is they're all flawed. I know that hurts your feelings. I know you. It's like, well, no, 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 no. But they're all flawed. Why? Because they're led and created and move forward and developed by flawed people. We have to understand that there's no perfect political party, but there is a perfect savior. There is a perfect leader that we can follow. I like to think about it this way. What if, what if Jesus was running for office? What would be his, his party stance? We obviously know he wouldn't pick one of the parties. He would be his own thing because that's Jesus, right? But what would be his campaign? What would be the platform that he went forward on. And, and as I look at his life and I look at his scripture, I think there's a point that we would be able to reflect on. It's actually in John chapter 13. Just so you have a little bit of context of what's happening here. It's, it's right before Jesus is about to go to the cross and he, he's having all of his disciples over. And at some point in the conversation, he's explaining to them, hey, I, I'm going to die. Like I, I'm, I'm going to be gone from you. Uh, and unfortunately, there's someone in the room with us right now who's going to betray me. And unfortunately, there's, there's going to be another one of you in here that you're going to deny me as well. 
you guys are going to scatter and you're going to run. You're going to abandon me. And they're like, what are you talking about? But in that same moment, in that same area, as the disciples were coming into the room, Jesus did something radical. Jesus, the savior of the world, the Messiah, the one son of God that everyone knew who he was. He'd been doing miracles. It was coming towards the end of his life. Jesus gets up from the table and he recognizes that his disciples' feet were still dirty. That's a whole nother message that Jesus was paying attention enough. Even though he was the highest of the highest in the room, he was paying attention enough to recognize their dirty feet. Jesus wraps a towel around his waist. He gets a bucket of water and he begins to wash their feet. And they're obviously freaking out, right? Like, no, 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 Jesus, you, you're Jesus. What are you doing? And I just want you to to look at this because I believe this is what his platform would be. This is what his challenge to his disciples. This is the challenge that he gave us. This was the, the hinge point in history in our relationship with God and our relationship with people. This is what Jesus would build on. This is what he would preach every time he was in a debate. John 13, verse 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. And the disciples were like, oh. Okay, put your listening ears on. This is a commandment. This is a big deal. This is a big moment. Here we go. Love each other. Okay, I thought you were going to give us something crazy. Like, okay, love each other. Got it. We can do that, Jesus. That's totally fine. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. That that changes things a little bit. Verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Don't miss how monumental this moment was. Jesus gave them this new commandment. It didn't feel new, but when you think about it, when you think about the context of what he was saying, he wasn't just saying, hey, I want you to love each other. Because we get that. Like we, oh, I mean, I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. Oh, it's so good. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Love each other as I have loved you. Oh, Jesus. Well, how did you love people? As we look at the scripture, we look at his life, the way that Jesus loved. Jesus loved sacrificially, both as a servant And as a savior, Jesus loved in a way that he put the needs of other people ahead of himself. As a servant, he humbled himself. It wasn't just that he washed the feet of the disciples. He lived in a way that when he was exhausted, when he was worn down, he would see groups and crowds of people coming his way. And the Bible said his heart was stirred with compassion and he healed the sick and he healed the blind. And he cast out the demons that he sacrificed of himself time and time and time again. He lived a life where he didn't have a home. He didn't have a mansion. He didn't have a place where everyone just came. He just wandered around and impacted people's lives in the perfect timing that only Jesus could. He lived his life for other people. He reached out to people who were different than him. He sat down at tables of people who opposed him, who lived different lives, people who hated him, people who didn't agree with him, people who lived lives opposite of him. Jesus said, hey, I'm not worried about just sitting in the temple all day long and just being surrounded by Jesus people. I want to be where the people who need me the most are. Jesus loved sacrificially. 
And as a savior, as a savior, Jesus, as the perfect lamb of God, the spotless human, the only perfect human leader that's ever walked the planet who had no flaw. He sacrifices himself for the salvation of the world. That's a different kind of love than when you and I go, man, I love that guac. I love that cheese dip. Blanco's has the best cheese dip. Oh, I love that stuff. Oh, man, I love you. Man, I love you. I love spending time with you. Every time I'm with you, I, oh, it just fills my heart. I love you so much, bro. There's a different kind of love when we look at the life of Jesus. Jesus loved sacrificially. So when we think of that, we have to stop thinking of everything being for and against, everything being about us versus them. We have to realize that Jesus would be challenging us with this question. What does sacrificial love require of me? What does sacrificial love require of me? Let's dig into that a little bit because I don't want you to miss that. It's this overarching anchor point for the message today. What does sacrificial love require when I navigate my marriage? It requires that I put their needs ahead of my own. It requires me as a husband to sacrifice what I feel like I want to do and what I need and what is most important to me to care and elevate what matters most to my wife. Wait a minute. Well, who's going to take care of you? The beauty of a relationship, and this is what Jesus understood about us. When we, when we sacrificially love in a relationship, when I, as a husband, care for the needs of my wife, it, it causes something, it stirs something in her that responds back. And it becomes this reciprocal relationship where we're both caring for each other's needs and caring for each other. And we're elevating each other and both needs are being met. And it's this beautiful harmony of a relationship. Now, does it work that way every day? No, not at all. Do I have moments where I am selfish and I am a bad leader of my home? 100%. Does Lauren have moments where she's selfish and she feels like no one else knows what I'm doing? No one else cares. No one sees what I'm doing. Of course she does. But we fight to love for each other sacrificially. What does sacrificial love require when I deal with an annoying boss? No. You're going too far now, Danny. You don't know my boss. You don't know who I have to deal with every day. I believe Jesus would challenge us and he would say, hey, when you're dealing with that annoying boss, sacrificial love requires you to lead with honor and humility. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that. You don't understand. Jesus would go, I want you to honor those. I know you may be smarter. I know you have the answer. I know if they just listened to you, they would get it all right. But Jesus would say, I want you to lead with honor. And I want you to humble yourself. And it doesn't mean that you don't share your answer. It doesn't mean that you don't share your perspective. It doesn't mean that you don't share your wisdom. But you do it in a way that honors and is, is led and built from a place of humility. Trust me, I, I have struggled with this for years of wanting to put input into something and I don't do it in an honorable way or if I come and I approach it in not a humble way, it doesn't go over well. But the moment that I lead with honor and humility, the Lord elevates what we're saying. Don't miss that. 
What does sacrificial love require when I have an unfulfilling job? Danny, I wake up every day and I, I, I dread going into work. I hate what I have to do. It's miserable. It, it, it doesn't give me any life. I believe Jesus would say sacrificial love requires you to look past the task and recognize the people. I know the task. I know it's unfulfilling. I know it's frustrating. I know it it's just fills you with discontent. But Jesus would say, hey, are there people there that you can impact? Well, yeah. Are we going to hold on to our discontentment or are we going to hold on to our purpose? Jesus would challenge us that sacrificial love means that we may sacrifice our feelings of discontentment in order to help bring out purpose and, and just energy and encouragement in the people that are around us, even though you feel discontent. I believe Jesus would challenge us with that. What does sacrificial love require when I've been hurt by someone close to me? Jesus would remind you of the scripture that we just read where he's standing there with his disciples and he's saying, hey, you jokers are about to abandon me. You're going to run off. You're going to scatter like sheep who were just smacked in the head. Like you're just going to run away. One of you is going to hand me over to the authorities. That's, that's going to lead to my death. And the other one, you're, you're literally going to be cursing people out saying, I don't know that man. Don't you dare associate me with him. Jesus would say, I would forgive and I would work to mend that relationship. As he came back to Peter after it was all over, after he died, after he rose again and he sat with Peter in a moment and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times and he restores this relationship with Peter. And then he goes on and Peter becomes this rock that helps to lead the church. And, and Jesus uses his life monumentally. Jesus would say, for those, sacrificial love means that you forgive and you mend the relationship. What about when I talk with someone with a different opinion than me? Jesus would say, I'd want you to listen. I want you to learn. It doesn't mean that you change your opinion. It doesn't mean that you change the way you vote. It doesn't mean that you change anything, but you're willing to listen and learn. Sacrificial love is the key. I think it's important for us to understand in order for us to truly become indivisible, it starts with loving sacrificially. It starts with that. So where do, where do we begin? How do we start to do this? And just like always, it starts at home. It starts with us. It starts with us beginning that in our relationships with one another. It starts within the church. At some point, guys, the church has got to be a beacon of light in our community, not just because we preach messages, but because we love each other in a way. Imagine when you walk into your workplace, if you as a Republican or you as a Democrat is sitting there with someone on the other side and you're holding hands and you're praying for each other and you're having a relationship and you're laughing together and you're crying together and people are viewing you going, wait, you guys are on polar opposite sides of this and you're able to answer it. I love them more than I care about their politics. That's what Jesus is saying to us. The way that you love each other, not the touchy-feely, not the, oh, I love you, bro. The legitimate love and, and compassion for one another. That's what drives people to go, wait a minute. 
why are you guys so different than me? Why does your life look so different than me? Why is the church unified in, in a time that everyone else is falling apart? Why is the church a place where, where people are just arm in arm and they're believing in each other and they're praying for each other and they're, they're having hope for the future together, even when they're on opposite sides of the aisle? How is that possible? And Jesus would say it's because of sacrificial love. Jesus, this was on his heart while he was still on the earth. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Did you know that Jesus spent time praying for you and me? He was praying for our church. He was praying for our nation. He, he, he took time to pray for the people who weren't even here yet. You can find the scripture if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're going to look at this together. John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. And I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. That's us. He's talking about us. Verse 21. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. Isn't that so important? Don't miss that. Verse 22. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me now and I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Jesus is saying that when we're unified it communicates to the world that not only do we love each other, but that God loves us. God loves us as his children. God loves us the same way that he loves Jesus, the son of God. He loves them the same exact way. He loves us that same exact way. I hear two things in this prayer that I believe Jesus would challenge us with if, if we want to actually truly be indivisible. And the first one is this, we will always be better together. That was the plan. It's always been the plan. Unity among the believers was always the key to the success. A a large portion of the New Testament is written compelling and challenging and encouraging people to stay united, to focus on the mission, to stay united in heart and mind, to to fight for each other, to care for one another, to not let the enemy tear you apart and fighting over these different things. Well, we believe this and we believe that. And the whole, uh, so much of the New Testament is talking about, hey, that's fine, but let's join together. It doesn't mean that we're all the same. It doesn't mean that we're all sitting around singing Kumbaya and Amazing Grace and then sings my soul and everything's all good and we're just walking around holding hands and woo. We're going to have disagreements. The early church understood that in order to penetrate a world that wasn't interested in Jesus, it required them to show unusual unity. And I believe Jesus is challenging us right now in 2020 with the same exact thing. If we want to penetrate the world who's not interested in Jesus, they're not. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to see him. 
They want to feel him. They want to experience him. The only way that they start to pay attention is when we show unusual, passionate unity. When the church, when the body of believers, when the bride of Christ comes together and we're fighting for one another instead of fighting against each other, when we're fighting for the the, the hearts and the passion and the care and we're loving each other sacrificially, when we're doing that, the world steps back and they go, wait a minute. There's nowhere else that we see this being exemplified. Nowhere else do we see this kind of unity. Jesus, that's why he's sitting here praying. He's saying, I'm praying for my church. I'm praying for those who haven't come yet. God, let them be so unified with each other that they would be just like me and you, God. That they would be so connected with one another that the world would have to take notice and go, wait a minute. How is this possible? Are you brainwashed? How are you guys fighting for each other when you don't always agree? How do you care for each other when you're on opposite sides of an argument? How do you love each other and give to each other and show compassion to one another so well? That's what this is all about. We have to understand that our lives and our politics will be different because our context is different. It's not about our, our context. It's not about us all agreeing and all of us voting the same way and all of us feeling the same way about every single piece of thing that happens in the news cycle. It's not about that. There's always going to be differences between us. We're, we're always going to have differences in our life, differences in our politics, differences in our voting, difference in what matters to us because our context is different. That's why I try to give you as much context as possible in scripture to give you who this was written to and and what time period this is written in and, and why it was being written. Because when we understand the context of something, it lets the impact be even greater. I don't want to just take and pluck this one little piece out and not help you understand what the whole thing is about. Right. That's damaging. That's dangerous. And let me give you an example of that. What if I just I read you this quote and the quote was this. I don't need to know about your problems. I need to know about how your will to fight. I don't need to know your problems. I don't want to hear about it. I need to know your will to fight. On one hand, some of you would be motivated by it because you're like, oh, okay, you're coming at me kind of hard. I can handle that. But for some of you, you may feel like, well, that's a bit insensitive. You don't know what I'm walking through. You don't know the challenges that I'm facing. You don't, you don't know how hard this is. But what if I gave you a little bit more context? What if, what if I told you that that quote was said and was written by a Marine who lost his, both of his legs in, in Afghanistan? And he went on to win gold at the Paralympics. And he is now a world-renowned racer around the world who's fought through every kind of adversity because of that. Having that context, most of us would be like, oh, okay, I'll be quiet now. I'll just, okay, cool, you're right. I have a lot of problems, but I have both of my legs, right? Like we would listen to that a little bit better than not having the context of what's going on. But I wonder if we're willing to do that in our politics. I wonder if we're willing to do that with the people on the other side, because our views on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is based on the context in which we have lived. I think a lot of times we miss the context. 
We miss that there's a story on the other side of that vote. There's a story on the other side of that person's life. Their story is shaped by their home life. It's shaped by their whether they were in a healthy home, whether they were in an abusive home, in a chaotic home. Their context is shaped by their background. Did they have both parents? Were they in a single parent home? Were they raised by their grandparents because both parents were gone and in their life? Were, were they dealing with some kind of death? At an early age, was there a, an ugly and, and just devastating divorce that happened that shapes the context in which people live, their experiences? Were they rich? Were they poor? Were they educated? Did they have jobs? Did they have to experience their, their parents working three and four jobs just to meet the bills? Were they dealing with just tragedy and, and hard times through their formative years? It's not excuses. It's helping us understand the context behind why people do and think and feel and believe and vote the way that they do. It's more than just, oh, well, I heard on a show, uh, you know, this sports person told me I need to vote, so I'm just voting this way. No, the majority of people, there's context behind what they do in their life. And the question for us is, are we willing to care enough to hear their story? It doesn't mean that we have to agree completely. It doesn't mean that you change the way you vote, but it means that you're willing to sit down enough to listen. Because the plan all along was for us to be better together. We can't be together if we don't care enough to listen. If we don't care enough to hear. The truth is the maturity is moving past our context in order to fight for one another. Maturity is the ability to move past even our context, the way that we feel, the way that we believe, the way that we vote, to move past it. Not that we don't believe it, not that we don't stand on it, but that we move past our agenda enough to care about another person, to hear what's happening in their lives. It's important for us to mature to a point that we can listen and love. Can we do that? And the last thing that I want to share with you, I believe this is the last thing that Jesus would challenge us with in order for us to become indivisible. You need to be known for what you're for more than what you're against. As a church, we need to be known by what we're for more than what we're against. That's what translates. That's what matters most. Guys, listen. When what we're for lines up with the heart of God and what he's for, the world changes. Impact happens. There's incredible movement that happens in our world when our four lines up with God's four. But I'm afraid that what we spend so much time on in our life is what we're against. We're waving the banner of what we're against. I, 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 I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. You shouldn't do that. And I, are you more known for what you're against? Or do people know your heart and know what you're actually passionate about? What are you for? There's a leader I've been following for several years now. His name is Jeff Henderson. There's no relation. It'd be awesome because he's, he's a pretty awesome dude. But I ran into his organization, his church, um, several years ago in Georgia, and I got to work with some of his staff on a leadership project that I was working on, and it was amazing. He, he had this really unique approach to building his church, 
and the unique approach, it shouldn't be unique in the church world, but it actually is, is that he didn't promote the church at all. He just promoted the community. He had this hashtag for Gwinnett. It's, it's why we use the hashtag for Santee, for San Diego. Because he had this idea that what if we started a church that the last thing that it cared about was just trying to build itself. But what if we build this movement of people who wanted to be for their community so strongly that people couldn't help but want to be a part of it? Whether they believed in Jesus, whether they were atheists, whether they thought Jesus was the craziest thing on the planet, they would want to be a part of this movement of people so badly because of the impact that it was having in the community. I wonder what would happen. Did you know what happened? blew up. It was amazing what God was doing as I walked through their building, as I talked with their staff, as I saw what they did on social media. It was amazing how this just grew and his platform started to grow in a way that businesses from all around the world started to invite him. And I actually saw that a couple weeks ago, this has grown to a point that he's had to pass on his pastoral role to someone else. And he's raised up a leader that's going to be the pastor of their two campuses now because he's been invited by so many Fortune 500 companies to come and impart this idea of their company being for their customers rather than trying to get something from them. He's being invited every single day to come and make an impact. And he uses the message of Jesus to impact these Fortune 500 companies and change the way that they're thinking about leadership, changing the way that they're thinking about how they relate to their customers. It's so powerful. And as a pastor, what he would do is he'd give these stickers to all of his his staff and they would say, what have you done for Gwinnett County today? And in the interview, He said that word today haunted him because it was such a powerful word. Because as a church, people say, well, well, what are you guys doing? How are you helping your community? And, And our answer typically is, oh, well, last week we put together about 50 bags that we're giving to this local school. And and then next month we're looking at this. And and then after that, we're going to work on this project for the community. And he'd go, but that no, 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 that's cool. That's that's cool. What have you done today to impact? what you're for. And that same challenge is for us as we close out today. What are we doing today to elevate what we are for? If we want to be one nation under God, indivisible, it requires us to be for something. And I believe Jesus is challenging us in this season. Hey, are you for me? Are you for your agenda? Hey, are you, are you about my mission? Are you for my mission? Are you for my heart? Are you for what I care about? Are you for about who I care about? Or are you for your political party? Well, why can't it be both? It can be, as long as we're leading with what we're for when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. It's a game changer. What are you for? And it's challenging because it requires us to reflect on our motives. It requires us to reflect on our heart, our actions. What are we actually for? Are we driven by what we're against? Well, I don't want to see that because I don't like that. And no, 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 no. Are we driven by the no's? Are we driven by what we want to say yes to? God is challenging us in the season that it has to be more about Jesus 
than it is about ourselves. In order to become indivisible, we have to be more about Jesus. So are you ready to take on that challenge? Are you ready to be a people that is truly indivisible? It's hard. But if we do it, if we lean into being for Jesus's mission and loving sacrificially and putting the needs of others above our own, when we're willing to do that, we will truly start to see ourselves become one nation under God, indivisible. Come on, let's pray. God, check our hearts. The prayer today is so simple. God, check my heart. What am I for? God, am I spending so much time focusing on what I'm against that I miss out on what I'm actually for? God, am I loving sacrificially in my family, in my home, in my workplace, in my church, in my community, in my political conversations? God, am I actually loving in the way that you called us to love? So God, I pray that you check our hearts, help us align with you. As we navigate this week, give us opportunities to lead the way that you led. We love you and we thank you. Speak to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.